Are you ready, Christine? Mm-hmm, I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Let's go! Well, actually, let's go to, in the beginning, the very beginning, Cincinnati. So it's an unnamed Midwestern city, but according to City Beat in 2017, they came out with The Asphalt Jungle, the greatest Cincinnati movie ever. So I had no I idea. I, <laughs> well, we, uh, accurate for being in Cincinnati. No, it's, yeah. Well, you don't ever have to go there, sweet stuff. Is Cincinnati the Queen City? Oh it is a queen gosh. city. Is Charlotte the queen city? Apparently, Beach Haven is the queen city. <laughs> Beach Haven, but which New was Jersey. first? Uh, this is just crazy. Okay, who's I on think first? Isn't the first we we like put this to bed? The first queen city is Charlotte, technically by year, and then Cincinnati. But for us in the podcast, it's I'm like. I get very uncomfortable. It's, it's oh, like my please. childhood. I, I am not that loyal to Cincinnati. Um, I think, Ma, I think I have more. I think I have more loyalty to Cincinnati than you do. Yeah, you probably do. Okay, so yes, we are going to Cincinnati as well as into Lexington, Kentucky, and Keeneland, uh, where the racetrack is. <clears throat> We are doing the Asphalt Jungle, recently released from a prison. I'm alone, I'm so sorry. I thought it was going to be in New York City. <laughs> but that's yeah. the concrete jungle. So, I just, right, right. No, that's, I understand that. I was that. like, that's not New York. Yeah, because but I was thinking that too. Jungle. Yeah. And if you look up asphalt in the dictionary, I did not. You know what its synonym is? Concrete. Concrete. Tar. Concrete. So, really, the concrete jungle, just a a different one. Oh, the primary difference between asphalt and concrete involves their adhesive materials. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. We are not making fun of. Erin, I, I almost called her a, a little cute name, but I thought that's probably inappropriate. Okay, coming from Cincinnati, these things happen. So now <laughs> I'm going to do my particulars. Is that correct? Oh, I don't have my thing up. Wait, since when do you do the particulars? Oh, no, I do the intro. I'm trying Look to at do us. The intro. We are so rusty. <laughs> we are, it's like summer school over here. <laughs> yes. Well, it's been. Okay, so I'm going to intro. Recently released from prison, Dix Handley concocts a plan. Well, he didn't concoct it. To steal a million dollars in jewels. Dix uh, didn't actually concoct it, but we'll go on. He gathers a team of small-time crooks, and the heist is successful until... You gotta listen to the rest of the podcast, I guess. The particulars. The particulars. So 
This movie is available on HBO Max, so you can watch it. Of course, you know how we do. It's going to be spoilerific the rest of this podcast. So if you are inclined to, let's just say The Asphalt Jungle is one of the first heist films. So if you're into heist films. Oh, really? Yeah. If you're into heist films, this is a foundational heist film. The particulars. It premiered or came out on May 12, 1950. It was produced by Arthur Hornblow Jr. He gave Billy Wilder his first directing job. Ah. He also and, it, and his name was really Horn Hornblow Jr. There's Hornblow. wait, there's a nerd alert on that. He also produced Gaslight that we've done and Witness for the Prosecution, and he also did Oklahoma, where the wind comes whipping down the plane. Yeah, nerd alert. He allowed a version of his last name to be used by C.S. Forrester as the last name of the fictional sea captain Horatio Hornblower. Because he added an an E.R. to Hornblow. And he was like, you may proceed. So Horatio Hornblower. Directed by John Huston. We know he did the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, the African Queen, the Maltese Falcon, and he also acted in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. The screenplay is by John Houston and Ben Maddow. Ben Maddow also wrote The Savage Eye, The Man from Colorado, and The Balcony. It's based on a 1949 novel called The Asphalt Jungle by William Riley Burnett. He also wrote Little Caesar. Which was adapted into the 1930. Yeah, Little Caesar. Not the pizza place, Tina. It was adapted into the 1932 film Scarface. So we oh. we haven't done any of like the Cagney, like White Heat, Scarface, like those criminal movies. So I'm, we're gonna I'm gonna pick one one of these mm. days. He also wrote the screenplay for The Great Escape. It was edited by George. Bomler, who also edited Oklahoma and Adam's Rib and On Borrowed Time. The music is by Miklos Rosa, who did The Thief of Baghdad, Spellbound, and Ben-Hur. Director of photography is Harold Rossin, who also did The Wizard of Oz, Singing in the Rain. And this is a movie that I know about, and it's funny that we haven't done yet, but remember The Bad Seed? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a little black and white film. We have to do that. Starring Sterling Hayden as Dix <laughs> Hanley, who was also in Johnny Guitar, The Killing, and Dr. Strangelove, colon, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Also... Louis Calhern or Louis Calhern as Dr. Alonzo D. Emmerich. He was also in The Magnificent Yankee, Duck Soup, and Notorious. Jean Hagen as Doll. She was also in Singing in the Rain and Adam's Rib. And in TV, she was in Make Room for Daddy. James Whitmore, I guess you used to watch Make Room for Daddy. I did because um That's creepy as fuck. D- Danny uh what's his name? Looked like my dad a lot. 
Danny Thomas? Danny Thomas looked like my dad a lot. Same nose. I, I guess I can kind of see that. Same a nose. A little, little bit, little bit. James Whitmore as Gus Menisi. He was also in Oklahoma and Tora, 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 and the Shawshank Redemption. Um, he, I put this as I guess a nerd alert. <laughs> this will let you know what I was thinking about. He campaigned for preserving separation of church and state. <laughs> so, oh, a little tidbit about him. Such a cute idea. Sam Jaffe as Doc Irwin. Raiden Schneider. He was in the, the Day the Earth Stood Still, Ben Hur, and Gentleman's Agreement. We have John McIntyre as the police commissioner Hardy. Remember him? He was in Psycho. That's where I remember him from. I I remembered him from somewhere, but I didn't know where. Yeah. yeah. He, he was in Psycho. He was also in Winchester 73 and Wagon Train. So. The other part of your household, I'm sure, would recognize him. Mark Lawrence. I'm watching him right now. Right now. Mark Lawrence as Cobby. He was in two Bond films, Diamonds Are Forever and The Man with the Golden Arm. Um, But nerd alert. So, you know, this is 1950. We got the House of Un-American activities. Uh, he was called Mark Lawrence was called before him, and he named names. He named Steve, he named Sterling Hayden, the star of this film, and others to the House of Un-American. Wow. Yeah, and he and he got himself blacklisted as well. So there was a whole like Sterling Hayden ended up getting blacklisted, a bunch of that. So I just thought it was interesting that he told. Oh, because how do I say this? It like it was such pressure, and not to have judgment on those people because like you know they're putting political pressure on it and, and who among us knows how we would like it's just easy to say I would never name names but when you're in right. that position and you have the weight of the United States government down on your shoulders and you have a family you know who is to say right Um, we have Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. as Angela Finlay she so she was in this film and then later in 1950 she was in All About Eve. So this is this was a big deal for her to get this part. Uh, <laughs> it's it's one of those funny things. It's like yeah, it's Marilyn Monroe and like yeah, John Huston saw Marilyn Monroe read. It was like yeah, this woman goes in the picture. It, it's just so easy for us to be like yeah, no shit, John Huston. It's fucking Marilyn Monroe. But the, uh, but but the producers didn't want her. He had to fight to get yeah. her. Yeah, because she was unknown at the time. She was unknown at the time, but later she went on to make another movie that came out this year, a little movie called All About Eve, which she was great and hilarious in that. And then you know she went on to do Some Like It Hot, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Seven Year Itch, um, and have you seen the trailer for Anna De Armas is playing? Marilyn Monroe in a biopic that's I coming am, out. I haven't seen the trailer, but I'm so excited for her. I am too. She I really mean, looks like her. And after seeing her be able to do go from fuck Marty to uh, <laughs> that was really uh, good. You did not, I did not have time for you. I yeah. 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 I know yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. And because her career, it, it's just 
I guess people boil it down to to tragic, but it is just like she just dealt with so much in her life, and then yeah, gets gets thrown into Hollywood, and then she, how she looks, like how she looks, and then and all of that, and and it's in the fifties, so it's just oh man, I, I and, and then with the the president and the attorney general. Uh, yeah, and it's not as if she would had a sturdy foundation to no, deal exactly. with everything that came with her. You know, she had like her upbringing did not uh, do her any favors as far as preparing her for what would come of her life. Mm-hmm. Oh, sad. Brad Dexter as Bob Branham. He was also in the Magnificent Seven. He produced. Lady Sings the Blues. Oh. Which we can't see because it's available nowhere to stream with Diana Ross mm-hmm. playing Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to be a, Billy D. Williams in it as well. He had a short marriage to Peggy Lee and that man saved Frank Sinatra from drowning at some point. So <laughs> Brad Dexter just getting around. And then finally, we have a 22-year-old Strother Martin. Yes, I recognized him. He's in the police lineup. So you'll know him from Cool Hand Luke. He delivered that famous line, what we have here is a failure to communicate. (laughs) So those are the particulars. Outstanding. Well, the movie starts with shots of Cincinnati and the... John A. Roebling suspension bridge. I had my, I just have to say, it wasn't, I watched this movie two times and then I went and did very hastily put together research. So it wasn't until like, because I was, I sort of felt like it was kind of Cincinnati just based on the geography and Dick's and him being in Kentucky and it's a Midwestern city. And then when they mentioned how far, like, oh, Cleveland's really far away, it just yeah. felt like it was Cincinnati. Um, but it, wow, they made Cincinnati look like it just it was like I was, are we over in Europe after the war? What Didn't is it? This? Yeah, yeah, it did. It it was pretty run down, and then they did a refurbishment of it. Um, and we see a man who is avoiding police in a run down town. Because we didn't know where it was at the time. Yeah. You didn't know that that was where, like, it's 1950, so that's two years before. Like, this, it's kind of current. Like, this is what you were born into. <laughs> this is your hometown. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> he goes into a cafe and gives his gun to Gus, the owner. Police come in and and uh, frisk him. Don't find a gun. See, obviously, dicks. And may I just stop and put parentheses right here? D I X, not multiple of a dick. <laughs> okay, so Dix's name is D I X. So every time we say it, I'm chuckling. And now, okay, that's out of my. Okay, so um. Uh, the police take him to headquarters anyway because he's a tall white man in a brown suit. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> there, <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Then there's a lineup where we see Sturgis, um, dude that was in the lineup. Dicks. We have here a failure to communicate. Oh, Struther. Uh, thank you. Name Struther. Um, and the witness caves and doesn't identify him. <sighs> then we meet. We still haven't gotten to the heart of the issue. Uh, doc, Herr Dr. Reidenschneider, just yeah. out of prison with a plan for a big heist. He just needs $50,000. Which I looked up, and 50K in 1950 equals $590,682 in 2022. So oh, he just really? needs, he just needs a little over half a million. Yeah. I mean, no, it's, if you could get that, just go on Big Brother. Yeah. Completely illegal. <laughs> Wow, doc, hair doctor would, should, would have been great on Big Brother. And uh, to get the job. Okay, I have any cast. Go ahead, Ma. What could go wrong? <laughs> that is my setting the table. So now we are to 1950 POC, pretty much what you'd expect. Actually not, because honestly, if you you tell me like the name of this film is The Asphalt Jungle, you're telling me that this film is set in the city, and so <laughs> I'm just like, all right, it's an urban center, but uh, this movie is daggone it, Lily White. <laughs> yeah, did we mention Cincinnati in 1950? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I guess, so. but I don't know. I like I only know Cincinnati from. 1980, what? When did I come to Cincinnati? 82. 82. Isn't that the first American city I landed in? No, you landed in New York City, babe. And oh, then I we did? Flew- uh-huh. Oh, I had no idea. Look, you were an immigrant. I'm this. I, well, because I was born in, in West Germany. It was West Germany at the time. And I always knew that I flew over when I was, a uh, what, one year old, two years old? Like a baby. You, you turned to that summer. So I turned so to that summer, old. but I know that I went to Ohio. I had no idea that I made a stopover in the Big Apple, that that's where I got my first taste of America. That's wow. right. Wow. You were an immigrant. Was it JFK? Was it international? LaGuardia? I think it was. No, I think it was JFK. So I came through New York like like the immigrants. Yeah. Look at me. It's so immigration. This- the Statue of Liberty is you. Yeah. yeah it's me. I have to say, what, uh, probably one of the first in your father's side to have, you know, like Liberty, Statue well, of Liberty did. Definitely by air and definitely of my own free will. <laughs> oh. Okay. So, yes. Uh, although I did put in parentheses, I mean, um, at that time, even. Uh, people from Italy were considered a um, yes. Louis and his family were Italian, and so so yeah. Are we at the POC count? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I mean, like we said, there was zero. But in this film, Louis is definitely othered. Like exactly. he's he would be the person of color. But it's hilarious watching in 2020 because you're just like, this is just a movie about white people. Yeah. 
So cast. Okay, I, I, so I just, Dick's, his family has a horse farm in Kentucky, and I just very, I was like, I took note of that, but I looked it up, I just looked it up, and it just said, while plantations did not compromise a majority of farms across Kentucky, slavery lay the foundation of every aspect of the economy, society, and culture of the state. Right. So right. his, because I was like, oh, because he's talking about his horse farm and all of that. And, and, you know, Kentucky was a slave state, but I didn't want to go and say, oh, definitely he, his family owned slaves. But I mean, it's, it's, it's Kentucky. Like, that's where my dad and my grandma are from. And, it, you know, it's the not exact like, same place in Kentucky. In it, Lexington. Yeah, it, Exactly. So I'm just kind of like when he was mentioning about his his land and his farm and all of that. I'm like, did you have help? Yeah. And, and was it was it a thing where his family had this at once they had this huge sprawl? Because that was something that I I had never really taken into account because I think that when we think of the South and plantations, it's just this huge land, but that. That's why I wanted to bring it up that the majority of of uh, farms across Kentucky weren't these huge plantations. They were smaller, but right. just because they were smaller, somebody still needed to do the work. And I definitely know that my grandmother's family was sharecroppers, right. and it's it's not like they were fair in their sharecropping. So I just thought that was interesting. And then my other part of cast is. Uh, Reden Schneider, nineteen fifty. He's an he's an older man. Oh, here we go. Now, now, but here's the thing: we don't know, and I don't want to. I just think that there is a there. I'm gonna lay out the evidence that we do know. He is an older man. Uh He is a criminal. Uh His nickname is Doc and the Professor. He Uh has a. He has a very thick German accent, but when he gets into the car with the cabbie who is of German descent and starts speaking German, he mentions how he hasn't spoken German in ver- a very long time. Now, it's mm. a very long time, five years? Mm. Because he, and then the German cabbie was like, oh, you have a Munich accent. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, we're doc and professor and you saw the writing on the wall and made your grand escape, or were you doc and professor, and in the 1930s, you made your grand escape, and you still have your accent. See? So I don't want to... It just seemed... He seemed kind of Nazi-ish to me. But... Could not be. And and there is... Exactly, exactly. We have no... uh, We only have circumstantial evidence. I though if if it was just me and I was in Doc's position and it was the 1950s and I was in America and I had that accent I would let it be known at every possible moment <laughs> that I was not a Nazi and that like I would basically have a shirt that said arrived in 1930 whatever <laughs> like anything prior 
to World War II. Like, don't I got this thick accent. I'm an elderly man, but I saw the writing on the wall. I am not a Nazi. So that's but that's uh, just me. So so we're and to- I think it's interesting. <laughs> that, oh, I have I'm I'm drinking my colonizer on an empty stomach. So we're in for a long <laughs> podcast, people. I do think it is interesting to mention that we have Dix, who's a southerner, so that he's a criminal. The Italian guy, criminal. The German guy, criminal. The guy I had no idea until later that Gus had uh, uh, that he was considered in the film terminology cripple, criminal. So, just putting it out there. Well, well, like, we we kind of yeah. covered almost everybody. Yeah, but it's just interesting that of the of the like this is a lily white movie, but within like the white society, <laughs> that these are the people that they made criminals. But the old like the biggest criminal of them all, <laughs> Uncle Lon. Then you know, well, yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we are to nerd alerts, and I have one about. The Queen City Bridge, the John oh. A. Roby <laughs> suspension bridge. Mm-mm. He made that bridge. That's why it's named after him. Bridges. Guess what bridge he made after that? Brooklyn. Williamsburg Bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge. Wait, that's the same guy that did the Brooklyn Bridge. We talked about that. Yeah, but but he did the Cincinnati one first. Wow. Yeah, he was like the leader in suspension bridges. Wow. I know. Isn't that cool? Okay. And then I have another nerd alert because I looked up Schneider because usually in German, it's the last name is what your um, ancestors had done for a living, like Weber, Weaver, <gasps> Weavers. And you weave baskets. <laughs> and we. <laughs> Okay, so Schneider in German means, let me find it. Oh, an occupational uh, name for a maker of leather straps, belts, and reins. Mm. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. I don't Other know why words? I feel like that when I'm like, ooh, Weaver. You could be Nazi. But like maker of belt straps and chain, <laughs> Nazi. Yeah, that's unfair. I admit it's just. I'm sure that there were, um, but yeah, okay. Moving on, we we beat that horse deader than that one and gone with the wind. Other nerd alerts. Well, I have 1950, the year that this came out. So we have the United Kingdom, Israel, and Finland all recognized the People's Republic of China in 1950. Well, wasn't that white of them? Yeah. Well, because you know, they had gone through that whole revolution and, and whatnot. And they were like, oh, you know what? they recognized the name change. And the, and the whole change. like regime. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought it, maybe they just ignored them for all these years. Well, they did. That is definitely true as well. Um, India forms a republic and shares its constitution and 
Rajendra Prasad is sworn in as the first president of India. Because remember that, you know, the British have been over there wreaking mm-hmm. havoc, which I watched. There's a movie on Netflix now called RRR. It takes place in the 1920s and it is so much fun. It is an action. It has wild action sequences and I highly recommend it for just a bonkers action movie and, and it's got so many layers to it and stuff it is i had a blast watching it because it like <laughs> the colonizers are definitely the bad guys in the film and it is just so much action and it's it's a tollywood film it's not a bollywood film because it's made from a different place in india which is tollywood and <laughs> i never ha- heard yeah, and it, it it is just, if you just love movies, to me, I it's almost like a superhero, like a Marvel film, but like based in history and with people. So it isn't superheroes, but they, in the action sequences, they do a lot of like, no, he didn't, what? And mm-hmm. big action-y things and stuff, and I highly recommend it. It is so, it is just a fun summer movie, so definitely check that out. And as the backdrop has to do with this, so I thought it was very funny. Um, on in se- February 6, nineteen fifty, three hundred seventy-two thousand West Virginia coal miners strike until March third. So I was just like, coal miners been unhappy for a very long time. They've been dying really fast for a very long time. Or, yeah, nineteen fifty. Uh, yeah. Also in February 1950, the first payment is made with a diner's club card in New York, thus being the first credit card. Wow, 1950. Yeah, it just blew up over there. Because in 1974, I couldn't get my own credit card as a woman, uh, um, uh, self-employed woman. I had to have my parents sign for me to be on my credit card with me. Well, that's because your rights aren't guaranteed in the Constitution. Evidently. So we have the first Formula One race is held in England in 1950. Hmm. I thought like Formula One is, is it's getting bigger and bigger now. I thought that was interesting. Gwendolyn Brooks is awarded the Pure... Pulitzer Prize in Poetry, and she is the first African-American to be awarded the Pulitzer Prize. Is she the only one to be awarded the Pulitzer Prize? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I don't. I don't think so, because didn't um, Hans, Lorraine Hansberry win it? for? Maybe not, but I know she wrote A Raisin in the Sun. I, I feel like... Oh, I'm sure there are others. I'm yeah. sure there are. Ralph Bunchy... B-U-N-C-H-E becomes the first African-American to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Mm-hmm. This man, he he's one of the great black leaders who was forgotten in history. He was there for the formation and administration of the United Nations. He played a major role in decolonization and peacekeeping operations. Wow. Um, So that was in 1950. In 1959, going into the future, he and his son were denied membership from the West Side Tennis Club in Forest Hills, Mm. neighborhood of Queens. I believe that's where the U.S. Open is held, right? Forest Hills. 
after the issue, he was was given national coverage by the press. The club offered the bunches the uh, an apology and an invitation of membership. And the official who had rebuffed them resigned, but they refused the offer, saying it was not based on racial equality and was an exception based only on his personal prestige. Mm-hmm. And during his UN career, he also turned down appointments from presidents Harry Truman and John Kennedy because of Jim, Ro- Jim Crow laws still in effect in Washington, D.C., so this man was bout it, bout it. He was like, he sure oh, was. you think you're just doing this because I'm one of the good ones and to parade on out. But no, I want to I want to affect more change. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to shout them out. Films, the top five films of 1950. Number five was Cinderella. Number four was Cheaper by the Dozen. Number three was Annie, Get Your Gun. Number two was King Solomon's Mind, Minds. And the number one film of 1950 was Samson and Delilah. Oh, Dolly. The best picture nominees were Sunset Boulevard. (gasps) I'm ready for my closer. We have to do it. That's a really wilder film. It's one of the all-time greats. I think it's long, though. I'm afraid it's long. But it has to be done. We have to do it. Great. King Solomon's Minds, The Father of the Bride, which we did. Mm -hmm. Born Yesterday, which we haven't done, but I've heard of. And the winner for the best picture, 1950, All About Eve. Oh, yes, of course. Which we have done. Tina, did you have any nerds? I do. I went into police lineups. <gasps> Thank you. Silly me. Didn't know they were still a thing. I guess I just thought this was something you did in hey, gangster days. But hey, they're still <laughs> used all the time. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously there's a lot of wrongful convictions. I don't know. I guess I, I just didn't know we still use them in 2022. Just not the same way. I mean, the, 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 the identifying person is behind glass and they can't see them. Yeah. But there's That's still a lot of problems. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, I guess you do have, I don't know. Regardless, there is a lot of good um, information uh, from the Innocence Project on mm. wrongful identification or just uh, on lineups. So, a couple of things. So, the wrongful convictions from lineups, the most common element in all wrongful convictions that are that have been overturned by DNA evidence has been eyewitness misidentifications contributing there was two different stats I read. I guess it, I mean, probably depends on the year that you write the article, but this is in 2020, 69% of all nationwide over cases that have been overturned from wrongful convictions are, they were convicted due to eyewitness misidentification. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of work to do reform for this. 
Uh, and obviously, like, there's problems because human memory is very fragile. Um, they were saying that when you're, like, when you see, when you're a witness to a case or something like that, most people are focused on the gun, or not the gun, I'm sorry, the weapon itself. And so you're not going to necessarily remember the face of the person. Um, so, and then not only that, but any information that you learn after even like nine hours, your memory starts to be different. Um, so I gave an example of like, uh, it showed, I think like 12 pennies and it was like, just pick out the, pick out which one is the real penny. And so like you automatically, you try to pick one out, you know, and then it was like, there's no, actually no penny in there. Right. Um, so one of the things is like, you have to be able to tell the people who are picking out from a lineup, the person may or may not be in there. Um, uh -huh. but so sorry, let me scroll down here. Okay. So there's a lot of policies that, uh, the Innocence Project recommends to combat eyewitness misidentification. The first one is police officers administering lineup should not know who the suspect is to avoid unconsciously steering the witness to select that suspect. Mm -hmm. Line administration. There is also a stat that uh, something about I can't find where I wrote it down. Oh, here we go. Police leading the witness has been like a big problem in misidentification, obviously. Mm -hmm. So witnesses should also be instructed that the actual perpetrator may or may not be in the lineup and that the investigation will continue regardless of whether an identification is made. So they don't automatically assume the guilty party is present and feel pressured to make a selection. Um, lineup should be carefully constructed so no one stands out. So there have been cases where like, only one person in the lineup fits the description um, of the person that they described. Uh, because eyewitness confidence is an identifi in identification can be easily but artificially inflated by information learned later, it's important to immediately ask the eyewitness how confident they are in the identification and record their answer at the time the identification is made. Um, and they said that the more confident the person is that they're like, I absolutely know that's the person, the less likely it is to be a misidentification. It should seem, I was just at the eye doctor today and it seemed like maybe they could do something, you know how they're like one or two, two or three, three or four, you know, like, <laughs> go, like how they do for the eye prescription with the lenses. So that then you don't know, cause you don't know what is right. You're just basically going by yep. there. Um, police should never permit repeated identification procedures and only use show-ups when absolutely necessary. Um, identification procedures should be video or audio recorded. Training on proper eyewitness identification procedures is critical so that law enforcement understands the value of reforms. It's our experience that when law enforcement comes to understand the scientific rationale for improving identification procedures, they come to embrace them. Um, not surprisingly, people tend to be less accurate when making cross-race identifications. Mm -hmm. And then they also talked about, I guess in some states, they do in-court identifications, which, God, terrible idea. Mm -hmm. uh, because 
you know, as soon as the person is like, that's the guy who did it, the jury is automatically swayed one way or another, whether they mean to be or not. So it's like on the witness stand where they're like in the law and orders are like, do you, yeah. and do you see the man who did this? Let the record show the witness is pointing right. to the defendant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and they also have, they link some cases that have been, you know, found innocent after like a lot of the cases, a lot of them are, cases that happened like before DNA evidence was around and now they've been able to prove things out. So one of the examples was um, for a person named Robert Clark who served 23 years in jail and he was convicted of rape, kidnapping and armed robbery in 1982. And he adamantly proclaimed his innocence for 24 years, maintaining that his conviction was the result of a mistaken eyewitness identification and in November 2005, um, a post-conviction DNA test proved that he was not the perpetrator of the crime. Oh. And so in December, he was released from prison. So he had like, um, the basically like this victim was like forced by a man with a gun into her into a car and he threatened to kill her. Um, he drove her to a secluded location, beat her, raped her, and bound her. It's terrible. Um, and then so she described the perpetrator as a black male, medium complexion, thin face, about 5'7", and 120 to 25 pounds, and then what he's wearing. So then that was July 30th. On August 4th, the victim saw her car outside of the store, and she saw a man exiting the store going towards the car, and she like called the police, but the car was gone by the time. Two days later, she saw her car again. And she saw a man parking her car. Um, and then she called the police and uh, they got the car. And then they started canvassing the neighborhood and figured out that Robert Clark, who's the man that was convicted, was the driver of the car. Um, so remember, she said that initially that the guy, man was five, six, five, seven, or five, seven. She's five, six. So like about the same height. Um, at the time, he was 6'2". Right. So pretty That's a difference, like yeah. 5'7 to 6'2 is a big difference in height. Um, yeah. I mean, you know. I'm bad with Like, I'm one of those people, though, like, if you don't rely on me about a height or anything, because no, like, I'm you, short, everybody's taller than me. Yeah. But you know somebody who's 5'7 is short and 6'2 is tall. Yeah, like, I would put it in relationship to my brother, and then I would put it in relationship to my friends. Like, right. oh, my brother versus, like, Evan or something. And I would mm -hmm. be like, okay, I know that Evan's in the six feet range. He's not, like, way taller than that, and my brother isn't. So, yeah, mm -hmm. but, ugh. But yeah, so, I mean, it's the thing about memory is faulty. So. Yeah. Called him by phone and he agreed to meet them, but didn't appear. Um, and then on August 23rd, they arrested Clark for motor vehicle theft. And at the time of his arrest, they didn't consider him a suspect in the rape case um, because he didn't match the description. Mm -hmm. But he became a suspect after admitting that he was driving the stolen car on August 6th and was untruthful about how he obtained the car. So he originally said he'd gotten it from a dancer he'd met at a lounge. And then he later said that he got in the car from a man named Tony Arnold, who was his friend, he, that he had been trying to protect. 
Lawyer, um, lawyer, lawyer. Don't talk to the cops unless you have a lawyer. And like, also, don't protect your friends. Like, sorry. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So by then, the victim had identified him as the perpetrator. So several days after the attack, they had the victim look through books of photographs at the police department, and she chose the picture of someone other than Robert Clark. On August 25th, the victim was shown a photograph array that contained Clark's picture. She chose the picture as someone that looked very much like the perpetrator. On August 27th, she identified Clark from a live lineup, and he was the oh. only person in the lineup whose photograph was also in the photographic array. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh. I said it wasn't, like, depict other people, but then saw right. him in the lineup, but she'd seen his picture in the photograph. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it went to trial, and the victim testified that there was no doubt in her mind that Clark was the assailant. Um, so then they, prosecutors presented serological evidence, which I believe is semen. Ah, yeah. Sounds like um, it. And that the microscopic examination of the vaginal slides from the rape kit had revealed the presence of spermatozoa. spermatozoa. Mm-hmm. Um, no ABI, ABO typing could be performed because the vaginal swabs from the rape kit had been lost prior to the trial. Of course, they had been. Her rights are not protected. And they were all like, um, uh, like a couple of them were like, oh, the rape kit was lost or it wasn't preserved. And so Robert Clark maintained his innocence and tried to obtain post-conviction DNA testing in the late 1990s. His case was eventually taken by the Innocence Project in October 2003. Um, and then in December, they filed a motion under Georgia's post-conviction DNA testing statute, and it was granted. Um, the state then brought a successful challenge to Clark's choice of laboratory. And in July 2005, the vaginal slide evidence was sent to Serological Research Institute in California, and the results showed that Robert Clark could not have contributed to the sperm- spermatozoa found on the vaginal slide. So they immediately requested that they conduct a search for the male profile and the state convicted offender DNA database. Um, and what do you know? The profile obtained from the vaginal slide was consistent with the profile of Tony Arnold, mm. already in prison for having served time in 1985 sodomy charge and serving time for a 2003 cruelty to children conviction. Um so had he been arrested the first time around in 1981, the other two things Those wouldn't have happened. Prevented. So he was, Robert Clark was exonerated December 8, 2005. Um, and he became the fifth person in Georgia to be exonerated by post-conviction DNA testing. All of these cases involved mistaken eyewitness identification. Mm-hmm. And then I like watched, there's, um, I was watching a YouTube video on like a clip in YouTube about there's all these things where like if you get out of I mean obviously life is hard when you get out of prison but if you get out of prison because the court fucked up you get or like something you get paid I don't know all of the specifics on it but I think it's like if it's a misidentification I don't think you have as many like protections but also like he spent how much time he was 21 yeah one and he got out in 2005, 24 years or something like that. He, right. So, like, 
20, what is he now? 19, 21 plus 24, 44 years old. Yeah. It took the like, best years never of having life. had a real career. Like now you have to try yeah. to find a job. One person this is a different case, but the woman, um, this man went to prison in his thirties and he got out and when he was 50 something and his wife, oh, his wife stayed with him the whole time. And they oh. were just talking about how like she couldn't get, he couldn't get a bank account because he had to prove proof of residence for six mm -hmm. months somewhere but like okay well I was in jail for the past six months right yeah I don't know just totally fucking all these people's lives up it completely and it, I mean can you imagine any time period but can you imagine if you went to jail in 1990 and you get released and you're exonerated anytime after 2007 like if you get released in like now you went to jail yeah. in 1990 and you get released out now like, yeah. the, between that time, like, the internet has come out. Like, everything has completely changed of how yeah. you're doing it. And, yeah, they have all of these things. And then what do you do if, like, have you been convicted of a felony? Like, they always have that on every piece, like, application for anything. And then it's like, yeah, well, yeah I was, but I was exonerated because I didn't do, like, they, yeah, they make things so many hurt. Like, it's. They say that it's it's not it's a joke and we all know it. It's just basically the new form of slavery because if it was rehabilitation, you would rehabilitate people and they would be able to effortless effortlessly come back into society instead of it having like right. you said, oh, do you have this month's oh, all of these catch twenty twos that are like mm -hmm. no, I can't because. So there, um, here's more of the stats before. So eyewitness misidentification, so it says nationally 69% of DNA exonerations to so 252 out of 367 cases have involved eyewitness misidentification. Wow. Furthermore, the National Registry of Exonerations has identified at least 450 non-DNA based exonerations involving eyewitness misidentification. So there's, I want to watch this, the Innocence Project, um, inspired docu-series on Netflix called The Innocence Files oh. exposes how inaccurate eyewitness identifications and improperly conducted police lineups led to the wrongful convictions of Frankie Carrillo in California and Thomas Hainsworth in Virginia. There's an ex... I know that on the podcast Revisionist History, Malcolm Gladwell had an episode about memory and how faulty it is. <laughs> Because he used it as when Brian Williams and how he got into his kerfuffle about when he was like on a helicopter that was being attacked and and he put and this was like a long time ago and then on this past Wednesday there was this podcast called Plain English and it was about why is the murder rate so low or the 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 murder case clearing so low oh. so before. In the 1960s, there was a 100% murders were cleared. They had a 100% clearance rate. And it goes in, like, you'll listen to the podcast because it goes into how it's just crazy because it, 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 you're like, what? Because then in 2020, it was at an all-time low of 50%. And it's like, have cops gotten worse at solving murders? But the podcast goes into all the different faults because of how bad that 
police records were and of that. But there is something that is very big to really recognize and realize, and that is in 1966, that's when the Miranda case was decided in the Supreme Court. When then you ha- oh. police had to say, you have the right to remain silent, you have the right to an attorney if you cannot afford one, all of that stuff. And how everything changed. Because before yeah. that, cops could basically do whatever they want, you know? Like, we gotta clear it. We gotta clear it. Oh, you did this? Well, then you did this and this and this. And also, like, the record keeping and stuff. It is yeah. a very interesting podcast yeah. to listen to and I recommend because it isn't one just a one thing but they're like yeah but in 1966 that's when you started having Miranda and yeah. that's when like the clearance rates fell dramatically so it's wild yeah. okay we are two reheatables Tini what are your reheatables um, I didn't write a lot down. I didn't either. But the names and pedophiles. <laughs> I just got very pedophilic energy from this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and doll, dicks. It's just silly. Yeah. Yeah. Doll. Robber. What was Bobby. the other one? Bobby. Is that the guy's name? Tabby. Tabby. Gus. I said it. Yeah. Those are really my negative readables. Aaron? I have, just like how TD said, when just reading the rap sheet in front of the lineup and the suspects, like everybody could see everybody. You're yeah. like, it was three crypt. They just, they had three people. They all looked very distinctly different. And they're just like, well, this guy was arrested for larceny and burglary. And this, right. and this guy was arrested for blah, blah, blah. And this guy was arrested for blah, blah, blah. And they're like, which one of these three did it? And then he was like, I don't know. He was wearing a hat. So then they all had to put, a, put, put on, on their hats. hats. <laughs> which leads me into my next negative reheatable is their heist attire. They're just wearing you. suits and ties and their hats. Which yeah. then led me to... Why did men stop wearing these hats? Because everybody was always wearing these hats. My dad did back then. They said that this is in the 1960s, and people often attribute it to this, but it's not really this. They often cite John F. Kennedy's 1961 inauguration. He refused to wear a hat. Yeah, he was hatless, but it's not true. So per the Gentleman's Gazette, here are the four reasons why men stopped wearing hats. One was climate control. So you had, it was indoor climates versus outdoor climates were able to be more the same. Oh. So if you were running out to go get into your car, like now you're air conditioned or heated and oh, you yeah. go into okay. an air conditioned or heated car, like mm-hmm. you don't, that's not something. The changing notions of social class like, because at one point, hats were uh, a visual representation of what class you belong to. Like, if you had a top hat versus the flat hats, those uh-huh. were a class thing. So as that kind of went away, that went away. Highways and motor cars, because as you got cars, the headroom, you didn't have as much room. And, and they would blow off. 
know if you were no, these are like the the inside like if you were in the convertibles, you had headroom. So they were like they would wear hats because twenties, thirties. But if you think about it from the sixties to oh, okay. now, the headroom of cars when people get into cars versus trolley cars, you know, there's plenty of headroom and stuff. Okay. Um, number four, this is the final one, was the internet and meme culture. Because now they have all these memes where they have a fedora and they're like, you bought this. You wanna, you thought you looked like this. And it's a picture of Humphrey Bogart. And then it's like, but you really look like this. Oh. And it's like, you look like a fool. Look Just, like Homer Simpson in a hat. Yeah, so basically like how all these memes and the internet has people roasting people who try to wear fedoras. Aww. So... Yeah, those are the reasons why. I thought it was interesting. I hate hate fedoras. And there is also another reason that they said coming back from, like, men coming back from wars and stuff, which maybe this is more of, like, a Vietnam thing because people still wore hats after World War I and II, but they mentioned that the men were just tired of always having to wear a hat and Mm. a helmet or something. So it just, so Mm. kind of probably some of everything. Um, my next negative reheatable is when Dick says no to the money and no to the stones and no to giving out his address to get his cut of the money. <laughs> As I, uh, okay, on one hand, I understand, like, okay, what's, yeah, yeah, he, he makes a point. What is this man going to do with showing up with these gemstones? Of course, that's going to, okay, I get that. But why wouldn't he give, his, I guess, his address because then the man has it so then he could track him. But how... How else are you going to get paid for your part of the heist? I don't yeah. understand. But, but I'm not a criminal, so who knows? Oh, why does Gus agree to pay off Dix's debts? Yeah. I never understood that. I guess they were friends? That would be a pretty good friend. <laughs> this one, I got in this long conversation with my dad about this one. Because I think we, we might have differing opinions on this, but... This is my take. Dix is from Kentucky. And at one point, there's a scene where Cobby specifically finds out that Dix is from Kentucky. And Cobby's like, oh, I have some whiskey from where you're from. Mm -hmm. Now, when whiskey is made in Kentucky, and there's another thing of like, what kind of mash is it? And what barrels is it made in? But generally, in the when whiskey is produced in Kentucky, it's called bourbon. It is called bourbon. It's like champagne. Right. You can only call it champagne if it comes from that region. You can only call it bourbon if it comes from that region, and that is in Kentucky. Right. So if you're in any other place, if you're getting, it's sparkling wine. If your wine, sparkling wine, comes from this specific place in Champagne, France, it's Champagne. So Champagne, Dix from, France. <laughs> Dix is from Kentucky. Cobby says this whiskey came from Kentucky. And that at one point, Dix refers to it as whiskey. And I'm like, no. Oh, if I'm from Kentucky yeah. and you tell me that this whiskey came from Kentucky, I'm going to always say i'll have some bourbon please but but that that could be me because because the 
whiskey is always whiskey. It has to come from a specific thing. So I guess maybe he was used to not being outside of Kentucky. It was, I had a bone to pick with that. And you're only Kentucky adjacent. I'm only Kentucky adjacent. And I'm like calling bullshit on this. Mm. Oh, the, when the box man catches the bullet from the gun from the cop accidentally going off. That's a tough break, man. Look, you got accidentally police shot. Like, there's just so much to unpack there. It's just how dangerous guns are because accidental discharge. Just police coming in willy-nilly with guns. Um, And then my final negative reheat. Well, also, like, just the, the, oh, the amount of times the doc is mentions the beautiful young Mexican girls is. Yes. Yes. Very creepy. I will note, though, that he does say Mexico, because if he had said Argentina, if he yeah. had said Uruguay. But but wouldn't he tell people Mexico, even though he has an established community down where he's really going? Probably, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's a Just, smart man. He, yeah, he is the professor. And my final negative reheatable is I completely missed like that Gus had was considered um because uh, he had a, a, an inappropriate term for it would be hunchback is that what we're talking about yes they they referred to him as a cripple but i was like yeah. this man seems completely able-bodied to me yeah. what is this so well there's more on that on my quotables because i just thought they were hilarious and it wasn't until like literally typing them out and being like oh they're referring <laughs> To his, uh, uh, his his extra baggage. Yeah. So those were my negatives. My negatives. Well, I had the police line up as well. That awkward kiss. <gasps> I rewound it, it. It was him being creepy. It was it was more it was more cringeworthy than Michael Jackson kissing Lisa Marie Presley. Well, because she and just kisses him, and then he brings his arm over and draws her in. And I was like, oh. Very awkward. Very awkward. And keeping his hat on through that heist, he had to get under that. Like, he could take his freaking hat off, as you said. Um, oh, the word jip was used, <gasps> which is a yeah. mm -hmm. slur toward I would I would add the Romani off the, people. I would add off the cuff the the bank or whatever place that they heisted knocked over the just be like yeah that's the electronic eye and setting the electronic eye where it was high enough where you could take things over right. and <laughs> be able to go under it like because you could tell because that's where it is it was just wild yeah. So now we're to positive reheatables. Um, I have one that's kind of like a nerd alert. In the beginning, Dietrich, Lieutenant, he was Lieutenant Dietrich. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he is with the commissioner. The commissioner's yelling at him really bad. His lapels, Dietrich's lapels were, were rounded. Oh. And the commissioner's lapels the pels were really sharp edges. And that was when Dietrich was like being, um, I'm sorry, I didn't do the job right. You know, like uh, 
there's reasons why we haven't solved these cases and stuff. And the commissioner was having none of it. Now, later, when the commissioner had told Dietrich, solve the case or you're out, his lapels changed to also being sharp corners when he was putting people in jail and such. Look at you. Wow. I thought that was, I like that. Um, and then he had sharp edges. That's it. That, that was my, that was my positive. <laughs> Others? I just, the only one I put was their bed. Somebody's bed I liked. Oh, probably the, the woman who was bedridden. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my only positive that I wrote down. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Ma. Looks like she should have some bonbons. <laughs> she was she a bit much. What, yes. What are, wow. Yes. She probably had the vapors. Okay. I just thought that I was just like, huh? She seems like she would be a lot to deal with. Yes. But I didn't know if that was unfair, so I uh, wanted to bring that to the table. I have for my positive reheatable. Oh, I I put it in positive. Sterling Hayden's performance. I just thought it was very interesting, and overall, interesting. I, I thought it worked, but it was very interesting. Interesting. Because it just wasn't something that I was used to seeing. Hmm. It, it was just interesting. There were a lot of interesting choices, like the, the, yes, scene, the scene where he's recounting about the story about the black cult and I'm like is there more to this is this really a black cult and then doll how doll how he does this whole story and then doll's like is that what really happened and he's like no what really happened is my father kicked me in the cake it was it was completely opposite but I thought it was hilarious because how would doll have known to ask like did that really right. happen and then he like he just, his eyes just glaze over in a way and when he's like recounting what really happened. And then he does this whole monologue. It was interesting. It was. Oh, man. This is, it's in good reheatables, but it's, it's really a, a negative reheatable. But it's good because I laughed. It brought me such joy. But it's bad, I know. When Kabi gets slapped upside his head all over the room by the cop. I mean, it's bad because he gets beaten by a cop, which is bad. But literally, that man gets, he gets open-handed slapped and backhanded slapped all over the room. <laughs> all over it. That man gets just backhanded front slap, just psh, 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 psh. Yes. Which, hey, he didn't get 60 bullets shot into him. So... so... Oh, yeah. And then my, there was very little music in this. Yeah. There was no music in the heist, none. The music picks up at the end, and I thought that was very creepy. When they're <laughs> in Keeneland, and the music just is swelling and swelling, and he's yeah. running. Yeah. It got and creepy you said that then. Was, you thought it was a positive reheatable. Yeah, because it because the movie, like, because yeah, this I is know. a, it's a noir, so it does, it definitely yeah, gives you okay. into that weird, like, it's a yeah. good reheatable because it's succeeding in making me feel uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Like, oh, yeah. It was like, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. No music throughout the heist, no music. No. And then the end, all of a sudden, there's this music. It was creepy. And yeah. then this one when Doll takes out her Whopper Jaw cigarette 
and puts it. She shows up and, and she takes out a cigarette. And it's all bent and crooked and stuff. And I just said out loud, "Uh oh," because <laughs> it's never a good sign when the when the woman just shows up on your doorstep and her cigarette is all janky. <laughs> and then not with it, like a literally a beat later, she just breaks down. And I was like, "There it is." I, uh, whoo. That woman has been through some shit if she's pulling out that and putting it in her mouth to smoke. Woo-wee. So. Oh, wow. Okay. So we are two quotables. So who's doing quotables first? Tini? Oh, yeah. Sure. I got mouths to feed and rent to pay and all that stuff. <laughs> There were a lot of great quotables. There were. There were too many to write them all down. So many. Uh, I'm broke. That's the plain and simple fact. (laughs) Also, I just saw this TikTok Adam showed me of this woman, and she's sitting on the floor, and she's probably like a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old. It's a kid sitting on the bed, and the kid just goes, Mom! Or she says something, and the mom's just like, I was just a little sad. The kid goes, are you sad because we're broke? (laughs) <laughs> and she like doesn't answer and then like a few minutes later she's like mom are you sad because you're broke <laughs> um okay just politics good old dirty politics mm-hmm. and then I don't know if I wrote this one down right crime is only a left-handed form of human danger endeavor Endeavor. Endeavor, yes. Crime is just a left What is it? I don't know. It seemed good, and then I was like, I don't feel like rewinding. (laughs) Yeah, that's... When I read it down, and I was like, well, I don't know what that means anymore. (laughs) That's kind of the... Well, the theme of what the film is, is how, because that's one of the reasons why this film is so influential. You have the heist thing, you have Mm -hmm. other things that are in the tasty titties that we'll get to, but also because this is one of the early examples of um, kind of a mainstream Hollywood film where they treated the criminals as compassionate human beings this whole right. film is from the criminals point, oh, of, view. And so, point of view yeah okay. it was kind of like john houston's theme of of how crime is just a left-handed form of human endeavor which never that makes it, more sense than human danger yeah it doesn't age well because you're like what are you saying about left-handed people like yeah exactly but at the same time then it's like but you know i mean it's far back as humans go crime has gone so maybe that's kind of the point is that you have right-handed people and left-handed people not to say not to criminalize there are less left-handed people than right-handed people yes and not to say that left-handed people are criminals but yeah true or is that just something i've been taught i don't you know what i think it that question is very interesting because I am someone who I have my work mouse is set up on my left hand and everybody when I worked in an office, everybody freaked out when they would uh, have to do something because they were like, are you, Oh, you're left-handed. And I, I mentally, because I went to a doctor and they were like, Oh, you overuse your right hand. So I took the mouse and put it on my left and it was very weird and awkward, but because I knew I'm going to be doing this 40 hours a week. I'm going to get pretty good at it. 
now it's it's like nothing to me to to use a mouse. So I it's I bring that up to say we society was conditioned that you were right-handed. So even if you were left-handed, yeah. you would have to adapt and go right-handed. So I think that maybe there is more prevalence of left-handedness, but it just in society was a right-handed dominant society that didn't allow for left-handed people to grow. So there's probably more left-handed, like the gap isn't as extreme as we might think. I also like when Kavi said, I don't like to brag, but I'm doing all right. I'm making book. I'm in the chips. What kind of proposition is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. Is that it? Yeah, you can go. Ma, Here. what do you have? Oh, you want I have, you know that I have, people feeding cats when some kids don't have enough to eat. <laughs> yeah. Experience has taught me never to trust a policeman. Just when you think he's all right, he turns legit. That was said by the German. Half drunk, I got more wits than most people. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you quit crying and get me some bourbon? Oh, is that what my dad says? <laughs> Wait. Wait, oh no, that's what Puppy said to me last night. Papa, is that you? <laughs> Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> Those were mine. I have, this is a, this is cringeworthy, but uh, Emmerich, some sweet kid. It's a Marilyn Monroe. Like, um, like we had mentioned it before with Dix, and he's doing this whole thing. And at one point, he's he's just talking about how he just wants to get back home and quote, take a bath in the creek to get this city off of me. Mm. I, was, I was just like, this just seems like you're just going from dirty to dirty. It's just, uh. um, I have at one point, Dahl says maybe he's a foreigner. They don't think like us. I'm just like, oh, there's Cincinnati for you. <laughs> And I have uh, Gus. He says, don't ask me. I don't watch the clock. I own the joint. <laughs> yes. I like Gus. He had a lot feel, of quotables. I feel like TD, if TD, like, that could be something that she could say <laughs> to her people. Um, this, this was, okay, this was literally when I realized, oh, that's what it means. Because it was Gus, he was in there, and it was the guy that made the comment about the, the cat. And then Gus walks around and gives him the old heave-ho out of his oh, yeah. joint. And he was like, how do you mean, Humpty Dumpty? And I just thought that was just slang of the time. Of like, oh, hey. But he wasn't prefer And then when he's outside, the guy yells to him, if you were a foot taller and straightened out, I'd kick your ass, basically. Yeah, like, I'm paraphrasing. Right. And it wasn't until I was doing these quotables about that that I was like, oh, the Humpty Dumpty. Oh, that's yeah. to a loop. But I, that completely I went over my head. Me completely. too. It's not till somebody said some, till he said. He, at the I, end. Yeah. If I weren't carrying this on my back. And that's when I went, oh, is that supposed to be in? Yeah. He even like mentions being, like he says being crippled. And I'm yeah. like, how are you? Like, you just. You look like a white man to me. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
And then this, man, there wasn't a lot in this movie that made me feel seen, but this line definitely made me feel seen. It's Cobby, and he says, money makes me sweat. It's the way I am. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I feel that too, Cobby. I feel that too. Money does make me sweat. It's just the way I am. So those were my quotables. Okay. LVPs. My my LVP, I'm going to go first because my LVP is one of Aaron's um, positive repeatables. Oh, it's one of, oh, no. Diggs is acting. Oh, see, it could go. I Because I put it, I only put it because it brought me joy in the, what is this guy doing? Oh, especially in the beginning when you weren't used to him yet. Wow. And John Houston fought for him. I mean, nobody wanted him uh, because of he was brought up on um, House Un-American Activities Committee. Yeah, he had this guy. He seemed to be an interesting character because at one point, I think he just took his children to a different country. And at one point he was like, I don't need to act like he seemed like he was an interesting fellow. Okay. But. He remind like my thing was that he reminded me of a gentleman that I worked with at one point who wanted to be an actor and I was always like, huh, because you're not like Brad Pitt and you're not like character act and so it just seemed like he was a character actor who get got foisted into being a lead character and yeah. that's why I thought it was so interesting because he was such a but he was also tall and you kind of felt his tallness, but yet his just everything about, that's why I put it in the good because I just could not figure out what was going on with this dude. Okay. Others. My LVP is I just stuck with police lineups. I got a bad okay. yeah. yeah. That's good one. I got some honorable mentions. I got honorable mention Doc, Reden Schneider. Mm-hmm. He comes out of prison. He's got this plan in his back pocket. He he meets Doc, the the Emmerich guy, and from the get go, he was like, "This man, I I can't do a German accent, even though I am <laughs> very German. I cannot <laughs> cannot for the life of me do one. Like, see, it. I don't no. know what it is. I yeah. can't do a German accent, but he knew that there was something off of Emmerich. Mm-hmm. He just sensed it. And then something goes down and Emmerich's henchman gets shot up. And he's basically like, this dude Emmerich has messed everything up. You didn't trust him. But you leave him in charge of getting rid of the body? <laughs> That's true. What? That is true. Why? Uh, it don't make no sense. The body that he leaves is my other honorable mention, Branham, because Uncle Lon just explained how he's double-crossing his, this other crew right. to you, and you trust him to go 50-50 now. Right, right. You're a fool, and that's he ends up being the body that Uncle Lon has to get rid of, which leads us to my real LVP, Uncle Lon. 
because Marilyn Monroe calls him Uncle yeah. Lon, and he's like, don't call me that. And she's like, but you told me to, so right off the bat. Yeah. Like, uh, you're uh, creepy. Uh, you're a creep. Yeah. Absolutely a creep. He, he messed everything up. Yep. Everything up. He had this heist come to him, and he messed everything up because he was like, I need 50k to do this thing. He brings Branham in. He's like, "Look, people owe me. I got, I got 100k out in the streets. Go collect." Branham comes back with nothing. Like, yo, you'll have to sue these guys to get your money back. So, congratulations on you, Uncle Lon. You played yourself because you gave all of these uh, schmucks, these jabronis, all this money. So you don't even have enough money to front this surefire plan. Then you have to get rid of this, the body, because you brought this guy in. He dumps the body in the river. No weights? No. <laughs> Hands and head still attached? <laughs> what the fuck? They're like, not, not 15 minutes after he dumps the body, there's still a splash, probably a ripple somewhere in the Ohio River. And the police come and it's like, yo, you're your associate who had your name in the, who was like, I, I'm the muscle of this man, Emmerich. Go see him if anything happens to me. You know, yeah. I just add that up, add that up with his cre- I I don't still don't even understand how he pulled Marilyn Monroe. Just why don't no. even I don't even understand that even relationship. Just so. Congratulations, Uncle Lon. You are the LVP. All right. Well, MVP, mine has already been talked about as well by Erin as well as oh. one of her positives. That slapping scene, oh, I loved it. That was it. good. I loved it. Slap, 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 slap. I don't slap, love that slap, it's slap. that it's a cop doing that. Like I don't, I don't like that. But the, no, but just the slappy. It you was. here at Gone with the Bushes, we are fans of just a man slapping another man. <laughs> Such disrespect. <laughs> My MVP was just being a heist movie and what you said it was one of the first ones yeah it it was a very influential heist film yeah i read that it went on to influence the killing the stanley kubrick the lady killers rufifi Y'all ever heard of that? Yes, because I w- I've wanted to do this that movie so long, but it's not available. It's like Lady Sings the Blues oh. because it's one of the greatest uh, heist films out. And I've, since the beginning of this podcast, every year I look up to do Rafifi and it's not oh. available. Huh. Um, both Ocean's Eleven, The Italian Job, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Usual Suspects. The same storyline was used in three other films. Cairo, set in Egypt, Cool Breeze with an all-black cast, and oh. The Badlanders. Cool Breeze? 1972, wow. Cool Breeze. Our, 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 our recasting has been done for us. Yeah. Oh, I have a great recasting. Well, yeah, I... Yeah, I liked when I realized it was a heist film. I was, I love me a heist film, man. 
And so, I can see this being one of the early ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, that it needed a little work, but understood. What's yours, Aaron? My MVP is John Houston because, oh, okay. um, so just that first scene, it mm-hmm. was just how empty it is. I had no idea that it was Cincinnati, which now it's maybe my MVP is Cincinnati. <laughs> But just the first scene, how it's just empty. And mm-hmm. it's it's the asphalt jungle. It's empty. No one's around. It's run down. There's crumbly. ruins. It's crumbly. Yeah, it, it does look like a war scene. It. So the influences, this was influenced by neorealist films, which should sound familiar. Films like Open City, which should sound familiar, because that was also mentioned in this podcast. Bicycle Thieves. Ah, okay. Because Open City, Bicycle Thieves, those were neo-realist films, so it had the naturalism of those, plus Mm -hmm. film noir, which I picked up on, Mm -hmm. plus Hollywood, um, the Hollywood Hollywood crime films. Yes, yes. So it was just all of those intertwined, but just, man, the beginning, it just really set a scene of like, yeah, it did. This is, is this America? And now it's hilarious to me to be like, this is it's Cincinnati. Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Spent many a decade in Cincinnati one day. Uh, recasting. <laughs> oh, I have a good one. Okay, well, you save yours because mine's not that good. Christine, what? None for me this week. Like, I love how you do it. Well, okay. you, well, anytime it's Christine, just imagine the cast of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Well, <laughs> okay, my dicks. Um, I felt like the, the stature of dicks was very important. Then so she- my dicks <laughs> is... <laughs> the stature of your dicks? <laughs> <laughs> Dicks is very important. I, I hope so. Just, <laughs> just for your happiness. Oh, thank goodness I went to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> the character of Dix uh, was a very tall it's presence. Stand straight up. Good for him. Right up so, there. So very nice stature. <laughs> My Mr. Handley is Kate Blanchett. <laughs> Mr. Handy. Handley. <laughs> Can you please stop? Okay. Kate Blanchett. Is Dix? Yes. Oh, okay. My Reidenschnau Schneider mm-hmm. is Sandra Bullock because she can speak German. Did you do Ocean's 8? <laughs> no. My Gus. Is Rihanna. <laughs> is not Rihanna. Okay. Oh, we're just going to make fun of my recast. No, is that I, what we're no, doing? No, no, no. I love me. I mean, you, you had me. Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock. I'm, I'm in. <sighs> I have a headache and I can't take any aspirin. Um, Gus, what, you know, Gus was the rough and tumble uh gonna you know ride till you die person mm-hmm. yeah that's was ride or die queen latifah oh that's a good gus 
Cobby, Cobby, if we were doing a, a, a male cast, I would have Kevin Hart because that's always the annoying one, you know? Weasley. The Fredo. Um, Monique. <laughs> Monique, okay. And my Emmerich, I thought, needed to be a person who um, had to pull off, uh, you know, a, a, a higher society mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. higher society character mm-hmm. so that is uh, angela bassett oh that's very good i like this one so i did a gimmick recasting and i recasted using the cast of godfathers one and two. Oh well oh. yeah that okay that makes sense so kabi's gonna be fredo yeah, Cobby is definitely John Cazale. <laughs> yes, that's why it was hilarious. My uncle Lon is Marlon Brando. Yeah, very good. <clears throat> Doll is Diane Keaton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doc is Abe Vigoda. Oh, wow, that's good. Yeah. Lewis's wife, so Lewis was the box man, the guy that gets shot by the, the cop and stuff. So his wife is Talia Shire. Yeah. And then, oh, man. Oh, oh snap. I, I forgot to, to put down who he was, and I had it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Somebody vamp for me. Somebody vamp. Vamp. You forgot to hit record. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Go on with your others. Well, my others would be um, Gus. Uh-huh. I would have as Robert, Robert Duvall. Duvall. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, Lewis, we'll, we'll put Al Pacino as Lewis. Okay. That works. Uh-huh. Lewis, Al Pacino. And Gus was Robert Duvall, which brings me to my dicks. Rest in peace. James we just Todd. lost him. Yeah. yeah. Wow. He yeah. would have been such a great dix. He, he yeah. would have indeed. <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah. Because, it, that's what, because originally my recasting was going to be, Doll was going to be Anna Paquin because I, I thought that the actress looked like her. And then Dix was going to be, um, oh, what's his name? He plays the cousin in Succession. He, it was going to be that guy. Oh, but, the tall guy? Yeah, it was going to be him. But then once I rewatched it after James Conn had died, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, James Conn should have been dicks. This yeah. And that's when I got – then it all started lining up of The Godfather. And I was like, it's a Godfather recasting. There we yeah. go. Well done. Okay, tasties. I already talked about the one movies that it inspired. So yes. Do you have any ma? I do. This was the film debut of Jack Warden. I don't know what part he played. Oh. I kept thinking he was Gus, but he wasn't. Oh. Huh. Wait. Who? What was something that Jack Warden was in? I know 12, the name. Twelve Angry Men. He was oh, the baseball yeah. guy in 12 Angry Men. Was he one of the detectives? Like, did he have one he of those, could. the butt, does he have a butt chin? 
because the because one of the he detectives might. had a butt chin and he looked familiar. Like I, it, I kept yeah. eyeballing one of the detectives. I was like, that it motherfucker looks familiar. <clears throat> uh, Marilyn Monroe was unknown here, but uh, at this time, a later movie poster had her prominent mm -hmm. in the movie poster. She didn't even make the, I don't even know if her name was on the first movie poster. Oh, no, because she was in, in, if you go on Wikipedia for the cast list, she's down like eight, ninth. Like she's yeah. down there. Well, I was going to say my, um, my LVP was underusing her until the very end when she had what she considered her best uh, performance ever was that when, when mm -hmm. the cop was the mm -hmm. commissioner was grilling her and she, I mean, mm -hmm. she was hilarious in all about Eve though. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a much smaller part. Yeah. This? It was just on the steps. Oh um, yeah. Okay, so John Houston met Sterling Hayden, not Hayden, um, at the uh, a committee for First um, Amendment rights against blacklisting. Yes. Because we said he had been blacklisted. So that's why John Houston fought so hard to have him in this film. None of the bigwigs wanted him. Yeah, they were both on the same page of, as far as, like, seeing what the house of unamerica like oh no we don't like what this is mm -hmm. where this is going and uh louis b mayer said this film was quote full of nasty ugly people doing ugly things louis and he also mayer. said i wouldn't cross the street to see a picture like that yeah damn yeah okay louis keep being all creepy to judy garland And Aaron, I, I have that. So a common theme of John, this was considered by some people to be John Houston's finest film, which is mm. crazy considering that he did the Maltese Falcon and the treasure of the Sierra Madre and so mm -hmm. many others. Um, but Houston's protagonists always fail at what they set out to do. So that's a common theme. I remember mm. in the, the treasure of the Sierra Madre was mm -hmm. similar. Um, Barry Kelly, who played Lieutenant Dietrich, the guy, Mr. Slapping Hands, he, I've never seen this film, but I put this in for other people who will know what this is, but he originated the role of Ike in Oklahoma hmm. on Broadway. Huh. Yeah. Wow. He, he had a butt chin. Didn't he have a butt chin? I, I think so. I definitely know that the, the less talkative detective had a butt chin because it okay. was it was button a mile away it was just very okay the shooting locations when they were on location shooting this i couldn't believe this all three relevant to my parents lexington kentucky keeneland where my grandmother worked as a security guard up until a couple years ago like <laughs> would still go back now i'm sure and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, I'm just like this. This is your movie, ma. This is you and Poppy should go on a date night down to the basement, watch the asphalt jungle. <laughs> we could do that. Um, it the production code had problems with this film because they did not like the detailed heist 
And they also oh. did not like the lawyer evading justice by taking himself out the game. Oh. And that was always, when I was watching it, because he sits down and he writes it out a note. And then I thought that he left it with I and then a dash, but I think he put like J and then he ripped it up into not like it wasn't like he put in a shredder or anything. He ripped it up into enough pieces where they could be pieced back together. And then you just see him opening up a drawer and then you hear him say, no. And then you just hear the, the wind <laughs> of, I don't know what it was <laughs> that the wind blew the pieces of his suicide note. <laughs> and so to me, I was just like, yeah, he took himself off the game and then they're going to go and like piece it back together. And his wife will read like, ah, I'm sorry that I, but I, that, that was a whole thing of the, the censors and the, that they didn't like that because he was a lawyer and he committed wrong. So he should have known better. Oh, yeah. Um, wow, the censors would have a field day now, wouldn't they? Well, there, there is no production code now. I mean, there, there is one, but it's the, it's how many, how many f bombs can yeah. you put into a movie for it to, But then, meanwhile, like the violence and stuff, it doesn't matter. It, it's that we and like nudity, it's it's f bombs and nudity. On one hand, that's what we're really concerned about. But violence and all of that, no, you put it in, put it in, put it in. Um, according to film noir authority, Eddie Mueller, Houston later said that Monroe was, quote, one of the few actresses who can make an entrance by leaving the room. Mm. What does that mean? It means that, like, when she left the room, people were like, Oh my god, who is that? What like like her aura oh. just left, you know? Like then she had a big butt. <clears throat> yeah, all of that. Like it it's just it's all it's just like she leaves and people are just like, Who is that? What is why? Oh, okay. I don't I didn't want it to be a dig. No, no, it's it's not a dig. It's the okay. reason why he fought for her. Because the you it's the quote is like somebody walks in and they're immediately oh my gosh and so it's taking it to the next level it's like yeah okay, oh, okay. you're a star you walk into the room and everybody stops to look at you and it you have that star magnetism all right but how many people when they leave a room is it a vacuum and you're like did somebody leave who what oh mm -hmm. we are mm -hmm. in a tizzy mm -hmm. that kind mm -hmm. of thing okay. Um, this was, I found interesting films with American slang, heavy American slang. They used to be redubbed for English audiences. So over a Mariotti, the colonizers, if you will, mighty, I mean, that's Australian, but they colonize Australia too. So it works. Ha ha. <laughs> they, it used to all be redubbed for them. And they brought in this British author and he was, he caught, he was like, nah, you gotta leave it. You gotta let it ride. And they let it rode, and it earned good money in England, which I think is wild. Cause I watch Peaky Blinders, I just turn on the subtitles, and <laughs> and a lot of the stuff I just I don't know. It's apparently we speak the same language, but I just yeah. Right. Um, this film had was nominated for four Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Director, 
Sam Jaffe for Best Supporting Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Black and White Cinematography. Mm. And there's so much more about this film because it is very influential that you can read all about it and take it in for yourself. All righty then. That is The Asphalt Jungle. I liked it. It was different than what I thought it was going to be. Me too. And again, I was looking for like New York City thinking of um, concrete. But I um, think that I was getting it confused. I think Sidney Poitier was in something called the Blackboard Jungle. Yes, he was. So next week? Whose turn is it next week? Not mine. I I picked this movie. Oh shit, it's me. Well, luckily I'm ready. Oh, wow. Look, Meryl over here. Just streeping it. It is a... It is a 1992 movie. Mm. What's love got to do with it? (laughs) That's set in 1943. It is two hours and seven minutes. I'm sorry, Tini. Going over a touch. It has a bit of a star-studded cast. It is, um, we're in the middle of summer. It is a summer film. So this would have come out the summer that we came back from Germany. Yes, it would have. It has a female director. Have you finally done it? Point break. Point. No. No. It has to do with the America's sport. A league of their own. A league of their own. Oh. I thought a baseball I know. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. I remember this movie. Gina you Davis? Did? Uh-huh. Tom Hanks? There's no crying in baseball. Uh-huh. Uh, Madonna? Rosie Rosie O'Donnell. Wow. Other people that I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Lori Petty? Yeah. Penny, a Penny Marshall film? Penny Marshall film. With a Penny Marshall. <laughs> That's my Penny Marshall. Well, listeners, thank you for welcoming us back. We uh, had a rough start, but we are back in force. So, here you go. 